Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And just lastly, a word about the away fans tonight. Incredible tonight. Oh, they were incredible. So they are able to produce the atmosphere that they produced today in Anfield. I'm expecting that at the Emirates it's going to be even better. We're going to need them to be that top side like Liverpool. We are going to need it right behind them. But uh, first of all, thank you for what they've done today, for travelling here, because uh, it made a huge difference on the team. Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, is it goodly? Is it? Do you I, think? I'm going to say. I'm going to say it is. Okay. I'm going to. I'm going to edge into goodly morning. All right. It, why not? You know, we've yeah. got to. We've got to enjoy the the good results when they come. And I think, in context, that was a very good result. Yeah, I think so. I think so. You know, we didn't win. We didn't score. We didn't really threaten too much, but. As you say, in the circumstances, to come away from Anfield with uh, a nil-nil draw going into a second leg of a semi-final, with everything that was going on, with everything that happened before the game, during the game, uh, and everything else, yeah, it's a it's a very good result, and there's a lot to like about it. So let me ask you this: when you describe to me your mood pre-game, Martin Odegaard has got COVID. It looks like Tommy Asu won't play. Looks like Smith Rowe won't play. Liverpool miraculously, somehow, Lord knows how. It's a miracle of science and nature and all of those things together have basically their full squad, their full strength team available to them, bar uh, Salah and Mane, who, of course, are at the uh, African Cup of Nations. But beyond that, they have everyone. They've got all their players. They've got Ronnie Whelan. They've got Steve McMahon back in there. They've got Kenny Dalglish, Ian Rush on the bench. Yeah. It's all happening for them. They, they feel so confident they can even put a 62-year-old Bruce Grobelar on the bench. It's full strength from Liverpool. It's about... Pfft, half strength maybe for Arsenal while you consider our squad tell me your mood what were you thinking how are you feeling about this well a bit aggrieved uh, I think as all Arsenal fans were and a bit down on my luck in terms of the the team we might have Mm. been facing in the first leg versus the team that we were Um, I guess this is the fixture that didn't move you know, so the players mm. they had available for this one, um, they always would have had. The, the question is who they'll have available for the second leg, the home, the Emirates leg that they might not have done. Mm. But, and I, I, this is going to sound wise after the fact, but check the timeline. It's all there. I wasn't as worried as some. 
Okay. Because I do think, believe it or not, you take Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane out of that Liverpool team, and I think it's a very different beast. And as much as our squad was, um, you know, heavily depleted, in terms of the actual 11 we were able to get out on the field, there were only really three key players missing. Tomiyasu, Partey and Odegaard, who the guy has been starting all the games. And I, and I honestly... Well, yeah. yeah. It's a blow to miss Odegaard and Smith-Rowe. But what I yeah. mean is from our first choice starting 11... Because Lacazette was in there, albeit in a different role. Right. But I really thought that we could go there and at least make it a contest. I didn't think that half an hour in. But <laughs> uh, before the game, I was actually more optimistic than most. But what about you? I was I was more fearful than you were. I'll admit mm. I was more fearful. I thought, you know, particularly the absence of, of Odegaard... Um, you know, coupled with Smith Rowe, when you need some incision, you know, here's me foolishly thinking we could play 11 versus 11 for 90 minutes without mm. something happening. And in that circumstance, you're looking for players who can make a bit of a difference, who can create something, who can, you know, maybe uh, gel the, the assemble parts of this team together in a way that, um, you know, might cause Liverpool some problems. So I was a bit more worried than you. And after... Um, half an hour or so, 27 minutes, whenever he got the, the red card, I was particularly worried. I was a bit like, well, fuck this. Fuck this fucking game. Fucking football. Fucking Liverpool. Fucking Carabao Cup. Fucking fuck it all. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, mean, I, I, mean, I started from a, a more positive position, but by the time Granite Shaka was sent off, I, I wasn't at Anfield, I was at home. I genuinely... I, I was, had to resist an urge to turn it off because I was like, this is going to be brutal. Yeah, I thought it was going to go all kinds of wrong from there. Um, yeah. And I think the focus of this podcast, although we're, we're going to have to have a, an inevitable discussion about um, the circumstances that we found ourselves in and why, the response from that group of players between the red card and the final whistle was unbelievable, phenomenal. Um, it was like, I, I didn't think we could do that. I certainly didn't think we could do that against Liverpool, particularly when even with 11 men, we've struggled against Liverpool in the past, albeit one, as you say, with a slightly more potent front line with, with Salah and Mane. But just the, the the weight of recent fixtures, the fact it was at Anfield, down to 10 men again, I was like, oh, God, this is just, this is not going to be any fun. And by the end of it, by the end of this game, I was fucking loving it. I loved it. It was just, there was just something about the way they worked collectively, individually. It was just fantastic. Mm. even though it was a nil-nil and, you know, th there are things that we can be really worried about, you know, in general, when you sort of um, come back out of that 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 um, immediate sphere of that game, when you look at, you know, what's coming up, what, what issues we're going to have going forward. But f for that hour, I just thought, uh, you know, the more it went on, the more I enjoyed it and the more I, I was desperate for them to come away from this game without conceding the goal that would have in some ways rendered the effort not useless, 
but you take so much more from keeping a clean sheet at Liverpool in those circumstances than a, a sort of creditable 1-0 defeat, if you know what I mean. Oh, I think they'll take masses from mm. I really do. I think for this group, it could be a real building block and it will be something that they reflect upon. I mean, it was not miles away in terms of the performance from what we saw in the second half against Manchester City. Uh, I thought in terms of the commitment, the organisation, but they were doing it for that much longer mm. and away from home. And also, you know, they didn't get any luck at all against City the way they conceded the goal. They had to ride it a little bit, a couple of instances mm. at Anfield last night. But I think they just gave absolutely everything. I mean, it was a, a really positive result. But when the full-time whistle went, there were no celebrations because they all just collapsed to the ground. Yeah. Gabriel Martinelli flat out on his back. Um, yeah. Some of the centre-halves, I, I think, you know, just sort of collapsing in the penalty area. But as a fan, it's great to watch. I do love a backs-to-the-wall grind, especially when you come through the other mm. side. And I just have to applaud the commitment, the effort. I think the concentration as well. I mean, yes, it's physically exhausting playing with 10 men, being on the back foot that long, but mentally... Yeah. It's so draining. Oh, it's yeah. so draining. I mean, that's why I was I was listening to Paul Merson uh, on Sky afterwards, and he was sort of, like, he wasn't really downplaying it, um, mm. but he was sort of saying, you know, it was pretty simple for Arsenal. All they had to do was, was sit in and defend, and, you know, it's not complicated. And I think when it comes to what you have to do, I think that's absolutely right. It isn't complicated. You can't play Liverpool at Anfield with 10 men and and try and play open passing football. I don't know how many passes we made on the night. I think it was six or mm. something in total, right? <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, to say this is what you have to do is one thing. To do it for 60, 70 minutes is another thing entirely because like you say it's physically really demanding it requires huge amounts of concentration and organization to make sure that the shape you keep is kept that you're not pulled apart that you're not you know dragged out of position that they can then take advantage of of the extra man and the extra space so it's a simple thing to say or to put on paper but actually executing it and carrying it out is is really not uh, simple at all. And, and the players deserve massive, massive credit for, for the way that they did that. And I suppose we have to give credit uh, by proxy as well to the manager for, for, like he said afterwards, we didn't train for this, which <laughs> seems, yeah. a bit of, seems a bit of an odd thing when you've got Kranishak in your team. But there you go. I mean, look, you prepare for certain game scenarios, but maybe they weren't planning on being down to 10 men. But, you know, he took Eddie and Keddie off. He put Rob Holding on, went to a back three. And, you know, the, the reward we got for that um, was the fact that we came away from Anfield without conceding a goal. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't train to play in that style, in that shape. Um, I think one of the things we've liked about Arsenal more recently is the way they've sort of tried to play their game, kind mm. of whoever the opponent is. So it's not something you're prepared for, and that requires a degree of flexible thinking from the players, improvisation, um, and just masses of concentration. I mean, I think it was Benjamin White in his post-match interview. They said, how was that? And he basically said, it's terrible. T- it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, I think yeah. it's like being on the rack. I mean, you know, you can do it as a training exercise for 10, 15 minutes, but doing it in a hostile atmosphere mm. for an hour is a completely different thing. And honestly, front to back, 
I take my hat off to those players. I mean, the away fans were fantastic, yeah. I thought, on yeah. the night. And that was clear on the television. Um, uh, but the players matched them, you know, and they really gave them something to cheer and believe in. And what must have felt like it was going mm. quite sort of dark, taking a dark turn at that point in the first half for the travelling fans. By the end, I bet those were huge celebrations at full time. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and rightfully so, because... They gave absolutely everything uh, and they were awarded for it. I mean, obviously, there's a potential cost to that in terms of what it means for the weekend, but I'm sure we'll we'll get to that in due course. What can you do in the circumstances? You have to play the game as it's there. I thought the Ben White interview was great. I really liked it. I mean, there's a touch of the Aaron Ramseys about him in that, you know, he's not going to say anything particularly controversial, but that, that bit where he spoke about how he was asked, how was it out there? And he was going, oh, it's terrible. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that tells you something about him as a player. I think he is very much a a ball-playing center half. You know, he, he's happy to do the defending, but I think he likes to be on the ball. I mean, I was watching that game. The more it went on, the more I was going, oh, God, I'd love to play in that game. You know, I can remember playing in games like that. And I loved it when you were up against it and you were just backs to the wall, defending, defending, defending. Uh, but Ben White wants to be, um, you know, on the ball, making a difference, making the passes. But, I mean, he was absolutely brilliant last night. I thought mm-hmm. um, he was probably our best player and I don't really want to single anyone out because the effort that everyone put in from front to back was was brilliant you know Martinelli made as many tackles as Ben White um, and that's the most um, that any Arsenal player made I think it was three so you could see with that Lacazette made clearances everyone made clearances everyone made tackles everyone made interceptions you know that that collective effort was was superb but he pretty much led the line if you like in terms of, you know, how we defended, when there was somebody uh, who needed to be dealt with, when there was a ball that needed to be cleared, you know, I, I think he just stood a little bit above the rest and that, and that's a big, big performance from him. It is. And while I agree with you, he's someone who's happier on the ball, I do think that he, this season, some of his finest performances have been on the defensive side. And he certainly seems to buy in Mm. uh, when it comes to that defensive commitment. You know, in that group, it's hard to describe, but there's almost like a peer pressure to not concede and he's part of it, you know. And I think that's so important in a back four or defensive unit. That sense of, I spoke on here before about how clean sheets are a culture. You know, it's something that you have to care about every single day. And that's something that this group seem to have maybe more so than any Arsenal defence I don't know certainly since the sort of Mertzsacker-Koscielny mm. period um, and and he absolutely even though it might not be what comes naturally to him is part of that I thought he was fantastic last night and I think he's played more minutes than any other first team player at this point he basically plays all the time mm. in every competition I think that I mentioned this to you on a text last night, but I do think that as we go forward and we start to look at, you know, who's going to be the captain of this team next season, I I wonder if Ben White's name will come into contention just because he's becoming such a pillar of this team. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. He's certainly, you know, put himself well and truly in the the mixer for that 
particular honour. I mean, when you talk about minutes, um, I'm just going to get them up here and see who's played more. Yeah, I mean, Ben White, 1,928 minutes. Next best is Bukayo Saka, 1,763. Ramsdale, mm. Gabriel, Odegaard, Smith-Rowe, uh, and Partey after that, you know. So, yeah, he... he he was really, really excellent. And I think he's had a few moments since he joined, which are completely understandable for a young central defender. He's still really young in the in the auspices of, of a centre half. But he is growing in stature and growing in importance. And, you know, you look at that unit back there. I know Tommy Asu wasn't there, but we had four parts of that five, really, where we had um, White, Gabrielle, Ramsdale, Tierney, um, and then, of course, Cedric to start. But Callum Chambers came in, who to me seems a little more simpatico with that that style, if you know what I mean. Um, mm. I know we've mentioned this before, that he is a bit more a bit more like Tommy Asu than Cedric is. But, you know, he's another guy who came in who I think deserves credit because when he came on, I was looking at him and I was looking at him running. Maybe he wasn't warmed up properly or whatever it was, but... I don't know. I, I I I look at him running. I look at him moving, and I don't. I see a guy who's who maybe got some issues that we're not aware of, just mm-hmm. in terms of his physicality, whether it's injuries catching up with him or whatever. But he really, really grew into the game. I think he made eight clearances, which is more than any other Arsenal player last night. Uh, you know, and having not played since when the previous round or the round before that, um, you know, back in September, October, to come in. In those circumstances, in that context, down to ten men, and to 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 be a a big part of that backs to the wall effort, I think Chambers deserves a, a, a bit of a mention too. Yeah, he does because he's really been on the outside looking in, and I agree with you actually. In that first ten fifteen minutes on the pitch, there was a couple of times where I thought he was really struggling for mobility and yeah. to you know keep up with Andy Robertson on the outside and. I feared for him a little bit because he yeah. was playing in that wing-back role, which is quite demanding physically. And I'm not sure he's there yet at the present time. Maybe it is just down to that complete lack of match practice, which would be completely understandable. He's not playing any football at mm. all. Um, to come in and play like that, having not played at all, uh, is really commendable. I think it was a performance that should uh, nudge him up the pecking order. I don't think... I can't really see why Cedric is better than Callum Chambers. And mm. if he can get himself fit, I, I think he's certainly the more natural replacement for Tommy Asu in that role. Um, I know it was a bit different last night with the back five. And at times he was almost playing like a fourth centre-half yeah, on yeah, the yeah. right-hand side. But yeah, I, I, I think he... I think he probably deserves a bit more game time than he's had, assuming that he's physically capable of it. Well, that's it. That's it. I, you know, I, I, I've been trying to get my head around it. We had a question on the Discord as well uh, from Woody, who says, why does Arteta prefer Cedric to Chambers? We know his limitations, but Chambers seems the most obvious understudy to Tommy, at least for the rest of this season. Cedric is not very good and plays in a different way, causing more disruption to the back four if he plays. I just don't get it. Uh, the only thing I can think of is that there is an issue or that there is something about his physicality that, that um, you know, is impinging his first-team chances because like for like, if you're looking for a player to do what Tommy Asu does, uh, Callum Chambers is the obvious 
next guy to do that. I don't think he can do it as well. But if you don't want to disrupt the team, then he, he seems like the obvious choice. So I do wonder if there's something in the background going on with him that we're not quite aware of, which is why when Tommy Asu is out, Cedric is, is the guy getting the nod. It, it's such a drop-off, though. I, I mean, well, for a start, it's about a foot of drop-off from Tommy yeah. Asu to Cedric. Yeah. I mean, Tommy Asu is probably our best... Um, header well, of the maybe ball, maybe apart yeah. from Gabriel, probably our best header of the ball. Certainly wins more headers, I think, than any other player in this team. He wins about three headers per game, puts him out at number one. Um, and in fact, you know, Ramsdale's kicking was off yesterday, but Tommy Asu <laughs> is so often the target, yeah. right? And it's a very different thing, <laughs> launching it out. And he did launch a couple out to the right flank and you saw Cedric jump in there and thought, well, uh, I don't really know why we're bothering with that. Yeah. Um, I his, at least. I liked his Instagram uh, Ramsdale's Instagram message, which was <laughs> yeah, basically yeah. like, maybe I'll kick one of these in now, uh, whatever it was, quite good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think uh, by his own admission, it was a bit wayward. But I mean, to be honest, in the second half, I almost didn't mind that. It almost became like a rugby game. You know, can we just make some territory just to relieve the the pressure? Yeah. Um, but Cedric, I think, is just such a different type of fullback to Tommy Asu that it changes the way we have to play. Yeah. I think it affects Ben White. I think it affects Bukai Saka. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I think Chambers didn't have to put himself in contention. Maybe, we talked about this on Monday, but maybe he's going to have to be in contention for a midfield place. Who knows, Oof. given the dearth of options. At this yeah. Point. Okay, well, we're here. <laughs> okay, I guess we're here. We're yeah. here. And I know that some people have said, like, there are a few people on the Discord, like, do you have to have the Granite Shaka discussion? But I don't know how you can not talk about it in this game and, and overall in the context of, of um, you know, Granite Shaka being Granite Shaka. So, mm. red card? Oh, it's undoubtedly a red <laughs> card. <laughs> I mean, it's about as clear a red card as you will ever see, Yeah, I think. Do, do you agree? I agree, yeah, it's 100% a red card. I think Jada makes the most of it, but then why wouldn't he? Uh, Xhaka kicks him in the stomach or the chest. Um, Can I read this short extract from Johnny Liu's piece today? Because it really made yeah. me laugh. Um, so it says, There were 23 minutes on the clock when Shaka and Jota both chased down a long ball from Andy Robertson with very different ideas on how they were going to reach it. I will take the ball in my stride, use my strength to hold off the defender and fashion a strong shooting opportunity, thought Jota to himself. The laws of physics are there to be broken, muttered Shaka <laughs> under his breath. I am Granite Shaka. I must karate kick this ball out of the air. The universe demands nothing less. <laughs> uh, um, I thought laughing. that was a very good summation. Of I'm it. laughing because I just don't really know what to say anymore. You know what I mean? I really yeah, yeah, just yeah. am at a loss about what more I can say about this player and what he does and what impact it has on us as a team um you know last night it meant we had to play with 10 men it meant that the players we had out there are more tired and more fatigued and probably have more aches and strains this morning and then he's now missing for two games at a point where we just don't have any midfield players like do you think for even a split second even a split second, Shaka, when he was about to do what he did, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
flying through the air. To when he was flying through the air. When he was thinking like, I will karate kick this ball yeah. out of the stadium, whatever it is. <laughs> Sorry, I, we have to laugh, Andrew. It was... It was, in some respects, very, very funny. <laughs> but yeah, I know other people will not see the funny side at all. I, but, I, but do you think there was a just even teeny tiny part of his 29-year-old, very experienced football brain that said, Thomas Partey is away at AFCON. Mohamed Elneny yeah. is away at AFCON. We haven't made any midfield signings. Martin Odegaard is out with COVID, so he probably won't be around for the weekend. Maitland Niles has gone to Roma. Charlie Patino, we we love this kid, and God, I don't want to have to put him in a position where he, you know he has to be thrown in at the deep end again. You know what? Maybe I won't karate kick this ball out of the air. I know that's a lot to go through your mind in a split second, but do you think any of that occurred to him? Well, certainly not, and I, and I uh, certainly not, <laughs> and I don't think it ever would. I mean, listen, I, I have to be honest. When this happened, I've always got something to say about the football, as you know. I mean, literally, we come here and talk about it for an hour and a half. When this happened, I I sat in silence for about ten minutes. I think my wife came in and asked me <clears throat> a couple of like questions about things around the house, and I just was completely unresponsive because I I had nothing. I was sort of frozen by it. Do you know what I mean? I I understand completely what you were saying because the same thing happened in my sitting room where my my wife was saying things to me and I was like, no, just don't talk to me for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like, do you want a crisp? Think about crisps in a few minutes when I fucking tried to process this. Come back to me at half time. Yeah, I'm trying to get my head around this. And at that point, I was very, that's like I said at the start, I was like, I will just fuck this. Fuck it all. Like, what's the fucking point of any of it if we're going to do things like that and things like that continue to happen with this player? Because, you know, more often than not, it is this player. And it's just, I, I don't, I genuinely don't know what to say anymore. Like, he, he is, it's a ridiculous situation that we're going into this derby on Sunday wishing we had Granite Xhaka at the same time, thinking like... <laughs> Knowing well, no, he'd be sent off he, after 15 yeah, minutes. Yeah, or like he, he could just as easily do something like this in this game. Like, how is he so important and also a liability? I mean, it, it, the answer is, of course, the squad isn't good enough. The squad isn't deep enough. And we have a significant issue in midfield that this guy who keeps doing these crazy things which cost the team remains an important part of, you know, wh- whatever the fuck it is we're trying to do. It's, it's. I don't yeah. know. It's like... Well, last season we had the situation times two, arguably. Um, and we talked about this a lot then yeah. in terms of David Luiz and Granit Xhaka were pretty integral figures in this Arsenal team. And with that came this kind of associated cost of their their brains temporarily departing at various points in games. Um the answer is that we have to improve. We have to have somebody better. Um, I think everybody pretty much is uniformly in agreement about that. Um, and I think it will happen. I don't know if it will happen in January. I think it mm. might be in the summer. But the thing I would say is that, you know, we worried about Louise in some respects. There were plenty of people, I think myself included, who thought, 
for all its problems, there are going to be aspects of him that will be difficult to replace, be it his technical quality, be it his leadership. Look at the way we're talking about Ben White now. Yeah. You know, and, and we've moved on. And Ben White, he's had his moments, as you said, but at least in his case, you can put it down to inexperience. Yeah. Um, I think that we are in a position where the rest of the team, the rest of the squad is looking stronger. There are more leaders emerging. We are in a position now, or certainly very close to a position where we're ready to mm. move on from Shaka. I think that is the difference at this time. Yeah. I mean, we're ready and we have to, because I don't know how long you can continue. You just, I just don't know how long you can continue to, to stick with a player whose mistakes are, are just costly. And I know we had this discussion previously, like, does there not have to be a conversation about, you know, how he's refereed and, and um, you know, maybe there are decisions that have gone against him, which have been, well, if that was Granit Xhaka and we know all that, right? But uh, the other part of this is that we were talking um, last night on text about, you, you were making the point, like, why is he there? Why is he mm. exposed? Why is he the last man? And I thought the analysis actually on on Sky at halftime was quite good. Rather than just mm. go, it's nil-nil, here's 14 minutes of ad breaks, they took a little bit of time to do some analysis of the game and of that particular incident. So the way that we play and the way that we like to push up means that in scenarios when, um, you know, the the opposition transition the way that they did. I, I still don't think we should be quite as open where one ball over the top exposes us that way. But, yeah. you know, it is part of his job, his remit as the player in that position in midfield to be aware of that danger. And to be fair to him, he was. He saw oh, yeah. the danger. He tried to get back until such time as he decided to karate kick the ball into fucking a different universe. But... You know, he 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 wasn't shirking his duties. So I'm not critical of him for that, critical of the decision that he made to, to carry out a challenge like that. But what this demonstrates is that you need somebody who's more athletic, somebody who's pacier, somebody who's quicker, somebody who can deal with a situation like that as and when they happen. They don't happen that often to us anymore. But what's clear from last night is that when it does, Xhaka just doesn't have the legs or the ability to manage a situation like that in the game. And that's part of why we need to upgrade as well. Not simply the disciplinary aspect to it where, you know, his his uh, red cards, he's suspended and all the rest of it. It, yeah. is, it is also the football aspects of what we need a player in that position to do. I think that nails it because, you know, we can have a joke about I am Granite Xhaka and, you know, I'm going to karate kick <laughs> this man out the sky. Um, but the reality is he is sort of doing his job in that situation. He's just not doing it well enough. Mm. And we do overcommit. I mean, it's funny. It comes from probably what was at that point our best attacking moment in the game. I don't know if you yeah, remember, yeah, Saka yeah. gets down the right-hand side, cuts it across the box, and we just failed to make contact with it. Maybe it's Martinelli, maybe it's Lacazette, I can't remember. And then Tierney and Gabriel push right up really aggressively. Mm. And in fairness, Shaka's actually ahead of them at that point and makes like a 60-yard run to track uh, Jota, and it's 
a brilliant ball. Do you think that the keeper should have come? On Sky, there was a lot of talk of Ramsdale could come. I'm sort of surprised that he didn't because I remember I listened to him on the Crazy Ben Foster Wicked Wicked Mate podcast. Mm. Um, And one of the things he actually spoke about was how high they want him to play, how high up Mm. the pitch they want his starting position to be. And I think maybe he was caught in two minds there. Maybe he should have come. Um, you See, know, I think he shouldn't have come from where he was because you know, Paul Merson was like, mm. if he comes from where he is, it puts Shotter off. I think if he comes from where he is, he gets stranded. What what the mistake is, yeah. he should have been higher yeah. when we were on the attack, yeah, 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 I yeah. think. Yeah, I think that's that said, true. That said, I think Shaka... Um, you know that thing that we said of like, does it go through a player's his mind of the consequences? I think most footballers that doesn't go through their mind. I think that you know nobody would ever make a last man foul really and get themselves sent off because it's never worth it. But players in that instinctive moment have mm. that natural tendency to to prevent the goal. I just think. You can make um, different justifications for it, but the pattern is so clear at this point, you know? Yeah. And there was an incredible stat last night of 13 red cards for Mikel Arteta's team since he took over. I think the next team had eight. Yeah. And I don't think these red cards are happening because we're a violent team, because we're overly aggressive. No. I think they come because... We make mistakes and our our technique in certain defensive situations has not been good enough. And I think that's the thing with Shaka. For all the things you can say about his character, like if he's two yards quicker, he probably doesn't get sent off there. If he's more agile, he probably doesn't get sent off there. He was extremely stressed physically in that situation. Yeah. And that's why he gets sent off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and that, and that's the problem, and um, it was at that moment. Probably, I thought wrongly it was kind of the worst thing that could happen because not only had we lost an important player in the game, but we'd lost a player for Sunday in a position where we are already extremely thin. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's probably something we'll talk about in in the second half of the show, um, just about what we might do yeah. and and the the consequences of that, and there are consequences. Uh, but I suppose... But in a funny way, the sending off does provide a kind of clarity on the night, you know, in terms of what the task in front of Arsenal is. I don't think it makes it any easier, but switching to the back five and sort of saying, right, yeah. this is what it is. Um, it's the Alamo and we're going to try and defend. Yeah. I think that... Uh, it's always tricky to say it helped us, but I think it um, it made the task clearer. I, I think that's true. I just one final thing on it. I've seen people say, you know, it was a good red card to take um, because you know Shotter would have scored. I'm not sure that's true. You know, I don't. It's still very difficult to bring that ball under control. Yeah, I mean, it fucking clattered off him. I mean, the reason uh, the ball went flying off him was because he was making the most of the challenge um, 
from Shaka, but I don't mm-hmm. think his control was that good. I mean, there's every chance it could have got away from him, Ramsdale, or Ben White was there as well, I think, who could yeah. have could have made a clearance. So, you know, it's not a good red card. It's a stupid red card. Uh, it cost us on the night, and it's going to cost us in some ways on, on Sunday because, uh, you know, we have, we have no um, midfield depth whatsoever and no ability to cope with that. So I think it is a, a, a really dumb red card, but like you say, it made what we had to do very clear. And I think we should end, you know, this part of the the podcast before we get into questions by again, just talking about how incredible and committed. I mean, Arteta's comments afterwards were really, really interesting. He talked about spirit. He talked about fight. He talked about I, I, brotherhood. I, brotherhood. It was like, oh my God, one. fucking, yeah. b- you know, this is band of brothers kind of stuff. You know, we have to, I want players who will go to war. You know, whatever else you might think about uh, what's going on, there is something there that he can tap into. Like, we can't measure fight and spirit. There's no optus stats for brotherhood or fraternity or whatever the hell else. But you can see it when you see it. You know it when you see it as well. That another team, maybe in those circumstances, capitulates a little bit or lets their heads go down 10%, whatever it might be, just enough for a team like Liverpool to take advantage and score a goal. Heads go down again, they score another goal, and then it's game over. And then it's just, it's damage limitation. It's nothing more than that. Whereas this remained a game in which we had something to play for. As long as it was nil-nil, we had something, you know, really tangible to play for. And again, I think these players deserve massive, massive credit. Every single one of them on that pitch who stayed on that pitch last night Every single one of them, uh, I know there were a couple who, who maybe weren't um, at their best. I mean, Ramsdale had some moments and there was that miss from Minamino. But without mm-hmm. that miss, we don't get that incredible picture of Ben White laughing at that miss. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, 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 in some ways, look, it's, it's a cliche to say it, but you, you, you can earn some luck along the way. And I think we did last night because everything that we did was so committed we deserve that little bit where the Liverpool player just, you know, made a, a terrible mistake in front of goal. Definitely. I mean, Arteta spoke after the game. I thought it was quite interesting. He was saying defensively, you have to be active rather than reactive. And I think uh, I think that was one instance where Ramsdale took that too far, definitely. But I do think that there is a an aggression and um, a sort of psychological aggression in the way this team defends and the way in which they approach these scenarios. And I think the, the promise of a second leg mm. probably gave them a huge amount of hope. If this was a one-off game and they went down to 10 men, I think it might have been more difficult. But I think that fact that if we can just get back to the Emirates, yeah, if we yeah, can yeah. just get back to the second leg, having 11 men, there's such a reward for them now in terms of a game that... They go and and they know that if they win, they're through to a final. I think that would have fed them and kept them going. But yeah, I loved all everything Arteta said after the match, uh, and particularly those comments about brotherhood. And he said, you know, I said before the game, I wanted people to get people here on this pitch that I'm happy to go with to war. And today I've seen that. 
don't find excuses with the referees, with COVID, with situations. It is what it is. Mm. We come here and try to do our best. And one thing I have to say that I really admire about Mikel Arteta is I do think he very, very rarely will use an excuse. He very rarely will say, well, we were missing players or, well, we had 10 men. He's very focused on our own performance. Yeah. And that's, that's what he talks about. And, and, and often when it goes well, he doesn't um, sit back and ask for plaudits. He talks about needing to do better. And I think he's, uh, I think he, he really does say all the right things, which I know is uh, a skill. But I, I believe that the players buy into it. And I think we saw that last night. And yeah. it's really interesting because physically, it will have cost them dear, the amount of work they put into that. But um, I, I wonder what they might take from it psychologically, you know, if that can offset that going into Sunday. I hope so. It's going to need to. Yeah, yeah. I think that's um, that's something we can hope for. I mean, it's weird. Like the last couple of weeks, we've looked at some performances where the results maybe, you know, don't appear to be stellar, nil-nil at Anfield. I mean, mm. you take it. You take it in a league game, for sure, but, you know, it's it's a nil-nil draw and the 2-1 defeat to Manchester City where we're looking at things that we're actively encouraged by despite the fact that, you know, the results haven't been quite as good as we would like. And I think that's a, an interesting aspect to, to what's going on. So, look, I think we should take a break unless there's anything else about last night you want to touch on, but we can probably um, deal with it in part two if you want. Oh, just one other thing, okay. which is that... Um, I think most Arsenal fans feel quite aggrieved about the postponement of the first leg, right? In terms mm. of Liverpool <laughs> having the game called off and it transpiring that they had all these false positives. I mean, it's undoubtedly suspicious and pretty aggravating. It, As frustrating as it is, the sweetest uh, revenge for that would be to knock them out. Yeah. And that's the only real revenge that we can have for that. And I think, thanks to last night, that is a possibility. And I would really enjoy that, given all the shenanigans. I would I would very much relish that. Yeah, I would too. I would too. Um, yeah, look, they, they, they played it well, I oh, guess you perfection. would say. Yeah. Um, and maybe there's an argument that, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. Maybe that's the way to operate if you want to be yeah, well. at, at that top level. But I don't know how well that sits with everybody, particularly when you're um, gaming the system around a, a, an issue like this pandemic and this um, particular mm. thing, which has been so impactful on, on everyone's lives to some degree or another over the, the last little while. But yeah, look, let's see what we can do in the second leg. There are, of course, bigger fish to fry in the meantime. So no doubt we'll talk about that. Smaller um, cockerels. Smaller cockerels, fry. yeah. <laughs> little spatchcocks. Um, <laughs> all right, let's take a break here. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon, just for those people who were, um, you know, asking, could we make this a Granite Shack a free podcast, which we couldn't mm. do. We have had about 10 trillion questions about Granite Shacker. <laughs> Suffice to say, we're not going to do any of them because we've discussed it uh, at length in the first uh, part of the show. So this will be a Shacker-free uh, part of the podcast, although he may get mentioned, um, you know, because we, we've got to talk about midfield for Sunday and things like he that. Might, he may come flying through the air yeah. in a karate <laughs> kick into the podcast. Just, we ah, do not know. Oh, he's just two-footed me right in the mouth. Yeah. Um, can I go first? Do you mind? By all means. It sort of um, follows on from what you were saying towards the end of the, the first part of the mm. show, and it's two questions here. So first one comes, uh, both of these from the Discord, one from Astonished, who says, uh, do Klopp's shenanigans <laughs> give credence to the idea that Mikel Arteta is rising in stature as a coach and a tactician? And Syke says, do you think the best in the players' characters is being brought out by Arteta? In his interview, Klopp was full of excuses, whereas Arteta gave none. Klopp loves an excuse, I think. I really like Klopp. I think he's a really good manager and he seems like a pretty good man. Uh, but he he mm. does revert to excuses quite a lot in his dealings with the media. Um. As I mentioned, I like it about Arteta that I don't think he often does. Um, I, I think it's good because if you give players an out, they often take it. And I think I think you need to try and avoid that. Um, I think his stock is high in the game. I have to say, I think mm. that he's respected by other managers. I think he's very well regarded as a coach. Uh, you know, sometimes it feels like they're just blowing smoke up his ass. We, we all know who I mean when I say that um, in terms of his former boss. But so, but so, I do... So, 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 so good, so good. <laughs> Did you see that video that was going around on social media yesterday of Pep doing a team talk to Man City about no. how he... He's, I destroyed football. In four years, I destroyed football. It's uh, really something. It's on the all or nothing. I haven't. It's absolutely skin crawling. Um, really tough watch. But um, it's a bit like David Brent doing the motivational speech. Is, in, that, in the is that the one where he goes, and who is this guy that destroyed yeah. football? Is me. Guys, 
It's Easily. me. Yeah. So, 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 so destroy football me. <laughs> um... But, uh, yes, I think it is a compliment, I guess, in a funny sort of way. Uh, all these shenanigans and people maybe starting to take us a bit more seriously. Mm. Um, maybe that's something that's not always been the case. Is that your perception? Yeah, look, I think the last few months have definitely been a step forward in terms of how this team is perceived and in how the work that he is doing is is being perceived. Like, there are still people who doubt, and I understand that completely. We're halfway through a season. It's judge me in May and all that kind of stuff. But, look, I, I can see there are things about this team that I like a lot more than the team we had a year ago, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and they're not easily quantifiable, as we've talked about, but there are differences in the way that we approach things, and the way that we react to things. Um, what did he say last night? Was there a quote? He said, this is a baby team. I think something like that he said. He? Yeah, it could have been with um, a different interview. I think it could have been with uh, Jan Aga Fjortoft. Right. Um, or I saw it on his timeline anyway, where he talks about a baby team and, you know, it's still growing. And the difference between, like, they, they asked uh, ben White and they asked Mikel Arteta, what is the difference between the, the performance that we got last night versus the performance that we got against Forrest on Sunday, one of those which puts doubts in your mind and, and scratches at old wounds. But, you know, White said something, well, that's football. You know, that's the way it goes sometimes. And that's, yeah. you know, it's it sounds like a lazy explanation, but it's also true. There are days where it just does not happen for you. And that happened with, you know, our very, very best teams. There were days where it just didn't work, where we didn't mm. turn up, where we didn't, we weren't quite at the races. And you're talking about the, some of the best players in our history, you know, not being there for, for certain games like, you know, look back at, you know, results over the years and you go like, how did that team draw with Charlton? You know sure. what I mean? Things like that. And the, the, the just the explanation is football and the actual difference between most football teams at the top level isn't so vast that, mm. that, that um, these differences or weird results or weird performances can't happen. But I, I do think that something has changed in, in the last few months. It's about now maintaining the consistency. Like you say, when there are problems, Arteta doesn't really lean into those. And when there are things which go really well, like I remember him talking about, you know, after we played Leicester and beat Leicester away from home, and he said, well, we've done nothing yet. You know, where, yeah, whereas exactly. I think there might have been a temptation to say, this is great, look at what we can do. He'd been under pressure. I... I I quite like the messaging in that it is consistent and it's not getting carried away one way or the other. Um, so, yeah, maybe there is something to that. You know, about I, I don't know if you saw... Did you see uh, the conversation with Bakary Sanya and Patrice Evra that was going no, on? No, I him? try not to look at anything that involves Evra. <laughs> His autobiography looks like it's going to be... Uh, spicy, to say the least. There's Patrice Evra, the day I licked a raw chicken. <laughs> Can't wait for that chapter. I, I thought it was interesting, nonetheless, right. especially Sanya, um, talking about their perception of Arsenal. And I, I do think that people within the game, I mean, how much we should take from their opinions is open to debate, do have a, a much more positive perception of the direction of the club right now. Um, and that is heartening. And even last night, 
you know, I was my timeline. I've got uh, fans who support other clubs or other journalists, mm. and a lot of comments about sort of the resilience of Arsenal. Would they have produced this six months ago, a year ago, two years ago? Um, so I think it is there for for others to see. We just have to hope we we keep on doing it and we keep improving because, as Arteta would say himself, there's still an awful long way to go to where we want to be. Yeah. Um, well, we we touched on this, I guess, um, briefly in the part one, but Wallan on the Discord says, Morning, gents. Do you think Arsenal should attempt to get the derby on Sunday called off? Saka going off with an apparent injury, Martinelli unable to walk full time, Shaka's red and a bench full of kids without Premier League minutes are surely grounds to get a game called off when added to our other issues. Yeah, don't forget Cedric as well will probably be yeah. injured because he picked up a, an injury as well. I think it's quite unlikely Martin Odegaard uh, will be available mm. given the timing of his coronavirus start. I mean, he played... Uh, Sunday evening, right? Yeah. Um, so he wasn't positive then. So if it was Monday or Tuesday, he's got day seven is the earliest he can get out. Unless they can argue his symptoms started before that game, but he was testing negative. Oh. It's going to be very, 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 very unlikely. It is. Um, look, I, I think Mikel Arteta's public stance on this that we want to play uh, as much as possible, we want to play is admirable. Um, but I do wonder if, in this particular circumstance, we would be foolish not to try. Um, I, I just saw here um, a guy called Dan Kilpatrick uh, oh, yeah. on Twitter. He's the chief football correspondent for the Evening Standard, mainly covering Spurs and England um, for his sins, but says Leicester versus Burnley on Saturday is off. Fair to say there are concerns at Tottenham this morning that Arsenal could request a postponement for Sunday given their situation. Now, I know that's not any insight into the Arsenal side of things, but when you look at all the players we have out, when you look at the fact that Jack is going to be suspended, we don't really have a midfield. I mean, we would be we would be really down to bare bones if this game went ahead, you know? I'm just going to quickly run through it in terms of numbers. So we've got Ramsdale and Leno, two keepers, because uh, I think 13 is the threshold, right? Mm. So if we say Cedric's injured, we've got White, Gabriel, uh, Tierney, Chambers, Holding. Tavares. That's five. Uh, yeah, Tavares. Kolasinac, I believe, is injured. Yeah, got a hamstring after that, uh, uh, you know, all the effort he put in in the final couple of minutes at Forest. <laughs> Lekonga, um, let's say Saka's fit. Martinelli, Lacazette. Nketiah. Marie and Ketia. I think that's 12. Get Pablo Marie out on loan ASAP. Get Pablo Marie on a plane to Udinese. I mean, what do you want it off? It's not the worst time to play Spurs. I would say that. They are not playing well. I watched them against Chelsea. Mm -hmm. They were dismal. They haven't got Son, who to my mind is their best player, certainly in their best two. Mm. It's it's also not the worst time to play us. I mean, anything could happen in that game. Yeah. I mean, if we have Smith Rowe and Tommy Asu available to us, yeah. I'd be inclined to go ahead. But... Let's say we do. What sort of team could we put out? Ramsdale, Tommy Asu, White, Gabrielle, Tierney. Yeah. It's got to be Sambi. Yeah. 
then then it gets really complicated. Then it gets really complicated because you don't have Xhaka. I don't think you can play Charlie Patino. Oh no! In that game, I just don't think you can do that. Um, who else? Uh, I mean, what? There was talk about Chambers, but I'm not sure. I mean, needs must I mean, I, maybe. Yeah, Chambers and White are the two. I think. But yeah, you'd be you could, very loath to take White out of that back yeah, wall. Yeah, I you? would be. Yeah, I would be. Do you do you maybe go with a back three? Do you play White holding Gabriel Tierney? Tavar, yeah, I think we had Nuno a question in there. about a question you, about that. Do you put um, Nuno, Nuno in the front three? I don't know. I, I like. I don't have a good answer to the other player in midfield. I don't think there is a good answer to that, to be honest. Unless you move Saka in. Saka is a possibility. I think, I th- like, could you play Sambi, Saka and Smith-Rowe? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, what choice do you have? I mean, I don't know who you're putting in the front three then, but... Well, yeah. Martinelli... Lacazette and Kedia again, I guess. Kedia from We'd maybe have to play Kedia wide. Yeah, I guess. I guess that's an option. Yeah, I mean, it's not perfect. There are no perfect solutions here. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And look, afterwards, Arteta said we've got some injuries. We've got some injuries after the game. Saka was clearly one. Cedric was one. There might be, you know, some cramps which turn out to be just that but who knows what kind of what kind of assessment they will make you know when the players come in today I'm, I'm sure they're going to be having a very very sedate day at the training ground today more about seeing who's how everyone's feeling and you know loosening out the knots and all that kind of stuff rather than intense training sessions so if they're going to request a postponement it, they'll request it today mm. um, they'll be looking at everybody seeing what they've got I mean, knowing our luck, we'll request it and it'll be rejected, right? The problem is that feels like a massive psychological blow, doesn't it? If you ask for it to be off and it's not and you've got to play, Mm. I feel like psychologically, if you're preparing a team, that's far from ideal. Surely Uh, we wouldn't request it unless we were confident that, you know, we fulfilled the criteria criteria. for a, a postponement. Well, there have been rejections, that's all. But, but yeah, in different circumstances. Um, I mean, we can get Martin Odegaard to go around kissing everybody. That's one of our yeah, yeah. options. Um, I, I think it's 50-50, to be honest. I think a lot of it will come down to... There's no press conference today, I don't think. It's sort of conventional no. press conference. There's going to be some quotes from Arteta, but he's not going to tell anybody if Smith Rose fit, if uh, I mean, Tommy Asu's fit. Yeah, I think the whatever quotes, I don't know if it's being done today, is it? Or was it done post? This afternoon, I think. Right, yeah. okay. Um, well, yeah, look, he, he he gives so little away now anyway when it comes to, to team news. There's no team news updates on the website anymore. Um, in in the press conferences, he says, we'll wait and see, you know, over pretty much every fitness issue. So yeah. I don't think we're going to get any clarity. But if 
There is I a think he's right to do that, by the way, because it's so variable at the moment. Why should you yeah. uh, inform the opposition? I mean, Martin Odegaard, I think his diagnosis came in Tuesday, Wednesday. So they certainly knew. They could have told us, but why give Liverpool mm. that insight? Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it, it's funny, you know, I, I, we've got to be close to the threshold. Uh, and arguably, if we are, we should use that to our benefit. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll uh, wait and but see. It's, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, I think we can put out a decent 11. It's just that central midfield area that's incredibly tricky. I mean, you touched on this yourself just then but um, art teacher at Drawing Man 15 said given our current squad depth issue should we line up on Saturday in a similar formation to the one we reverted to last night do you think there's a chance of that three yeah, at the back it's possible alright it's possible mm. because it might just give you that security where you know when you don't have like I think you need a proper midfield to, to play the back four the way that we want to play and I, I don't know that we can put out that proper midfield too so it might be a case of, of changing the system um I mean, here's one from uh, AS37 Gunner uh, on the Discord who said, I asked this in a very specific way and would have asked it before the Xhaka read. What makes not signing Jack Wilshire until the end of the season a better option than signing Jack Wilshire until the end of the season, if that makes sense? Hmm. Yeah, I, I do. I have wondered about this because... There are people who tell you Jack looks sharp and he's clearly still very talented and he's training well and everybody loves him. Mm. I just, it's so obviously there that I have to presume there's something that we know or see in Jack that makes us think this is not a viable option. And the only thing that I can add to that is to say that a number of Bournemouth fans who watched him uh, as recently as last season have mm. said to me, He's not close to what we would need in the, at the top end of the Premier League. Um, I don't get any pleasure from saying that at all, but that's what Bournemouth fans have told me. Yeah. Look, I, I he hasn't played since last May. Not a minute yeah. of competitive football, and there were, unfortunately for him, no clubs willing to take a chance on him, um, which is a real shame, you know, because the the talent is unquestionable. The only issue can be fitness and sharpness and the ability to do it at, at the top level. I, I don't think in any normal circumstance you could make a good case for it. Absolutely not. I do wonder if in these exceptional circumstances <laughs> where mm -hmm. you're absolutely desperate for a midfielder, why you couldn't maybe take a chance. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But maybe you've just slightly, slightly eased the the burden, if you like. Yeah, like, uh, is it a worse option than Callum Chambers or Ben White in that position? I don't know. I mean, all, all, all I can say is, if he has been training, and if he does look sharp, and if the need we have is so obvious, and as a very short-term solution, he's right there under the noses of everybody where they could, you know, bring him into the office, have a chat and say, look, we're really sure. How about a temporary deal? Give you a deal until the end of the season. We don't have to pay you a great deal, whatever it might be. How about it? 
that they haven't done that probably suggests that there are concerns about his ability to perform at this level, which mm. probably explains it, which is sad, but... Here's a question from the real Twitter man on that theme. By the time the podcast is recorded, do you expect a midfielder to have signed probably on loan and registered by the midday deadline to be part of the squad for Sunday? No. No, I mean, it's 10 past 11 now as we're speaking. So they have 50 minutes to make this sound um, wrong. But no, I don't expect anybody to, to come in before that particular deadline. Do you? No, um, I mean the reports of Arsenal's interest in Arthur are accurate. Uh, mm. it, it, I, it seems that of the shortlist they had, he's the one they think they can get on loan. I don't think it's a fait accompli by any stretch because Juventus would like to replace him. I mean, he's quite important. Although he doesn't start for them, he came on for them the other night in the mm. Supercopa final. He gets minutes here and there. Um, it was never, I think, going to happen this week. And so we won't have him for Sunday, almost certainly. I think he will come. Um, I think that will be the guy and it will be a loan deal, probably mm. without any options buy at this point. But I don't see, unless they hand Jack a contract this morning, which they could do. But I think the reason I'm so dubious is just the way in which Arteta's dealt with the questions on it. He really has knocked it down. He's not even left it open. No. Do you know what I mean? He's not even said, oh, well, you know, maybe. He's been pretty uh, transparent about the fact it's not going to happen. So I don't see that changing. Um, so Mikel's going to have to register himself, I guess. Yeah, player manager, Mikel Arteta. Um, speaking of, you know, we've spoken about midfield there and a, a potential arrival in, in Arthur from Juventus. Yeah. Uh, Luke on the Twitter, who's at LChapman5, says, Morning, gents. Long-time listener, first-time caller, etc., etc. Assuming okay. everyone will ask about the X word today. <laughs> so here's this. At what point do you move on from Dusan Vlavic, assuming that if he was going to sign, it would have already happened? Um, I, I'm I'm curious as to your take on this or whatever little bit of information you might have yeah. that you might be able to share, but I have got a nagging sense that we are being led down the garden path a little bit by agents who are maybe thinking about doing something else. I've always had a sense that this felt a bit like the Locatelli interest in the summer where Arsenal were certainly in the mix and prepared to sign the player, but the player was minded to do something else and that was signed for Juventus. And I think that's very possibly what's in Dusan Vlavic's mind. Um, He scored again last night. I don't know if you saw, it was a crazy game. Torreira played for Fiorentina. They won 5-2 at Napoli in the Cup. Right. They had 10 men. Napoli had nine men. What the shit? And yeah. Nine men, Napoli got a 94th minute equaliser to make it 2 all, And it, they ended up losing 5-2. Um, Vlavic scored a great goal to open the scoring. Lovely touch in the box. Good finish across the keeper. I think highlights are on YouTube. They are worth watching just because it was a mental, mental game. Um, Going to try and get the goal here. Yeah. I really, I think he looks like a really exciting goal scorer. You know, he finishes like Van Persie, but he, he's got the sort of power of Andy Carroll. It's kind of a, a, an interesting <laughs> crossbreed. Um, Did you see Andy Carroll's two disallowed goals yeah. the other day? Holy I mean, Andy shit. Carroll, 
Andy Carroll can play. Um, his, his problem has been injuries in his career. Mm. Uh, Vlavic, I think, is uh, uh, you know has so far avoided stuff like that, and I think he's got well, his finishing power is pretty amazing. Um, I think there is about a thirty percent chance that he comes to Arsenal because I think Arsenal were the only horse really in the race in January. And I think Fiorentina would like to move him on if they can get a good price. It's a nice Did you read? Goal. Yeah, nice goal, isn't it? It's nice a touch, nice, goal. nice finish. Quick um, feet for a big man. I mean, he, do you know what he is? He reminds me of. You know the way in The Simpsons, Bart had a brother that lived up in the attic? Yeah. Like if John Hamm had a brother who lived up in the attic, it would be Dusan Vlavic. How does he look 40 and he's only 20? I know, I know. I don't, he's don't get it. Anyway, a big man. Anyway, so I think, I, I think about 30%. That's, and that's my opinion based mm. on things I'm hearing. There was a great piece in the Financial Times yesterday. Did you read that? About no. Fiorentina, oh, the Fiorentina owner. I have, it, I have it bookmarked, yeah. Well, it's worth reading. He's an interesting character, the owner of Fiorentina, but there's a lot in there about Vlavic's agents. And mm. um, I think oh, they wanted an 8 million euro uh, payout just for him to sign a new contract. That's partly the reason he's for sale. If Arsenal are to do this deal, they will have to really bite the bullet and and pay some people up. I mean, there's people involved with Vlavic who know this is their payday and they yeah. intend to maximise it. It would be a significant departure from the business we did in the summer in that respect. I know he fits the age profile, but when you look at the agent's of the players that we signed, they were all from smaller agencies. And I'd be surprised if the players' salaries were in the region of what Vlavic would be demanding. I think our spending on that side, salaries and agents' fees, was sort of relatively conservative in the summer. Mm. Um, but it is an opportunity. And I think Arsenal know that this is their only shot, probably, at getting this guy. And so they'll, they're going to go for it. Um, I think what it really hinges on is his decision. And there's nothing coming from him that indicates he's desperate to make the move. You know, if Fiorentina are pressuring him for a decision, they've said that publicly, they want a decision and no decision has been forthcoming. So I'm not overly optimistic at this point. Yeah. So at what point then do you... I, 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 well, that's... What do you I, I do? I mean, any, I, yeah. I don't think the other targets are achievable, particularly in January. I mean, um, I, I think, you know, Isaac, there's a buyout, but it's high. It's in the region of 70 or 80 million. Which is what you pay. He's, yeah, he's not scoring. And he's not a guarantee. He's not necessarily a reliable goal scorer. Calvert Lewin, I don't think it's possible. And he's just coming back from injury. Um, barely played this season. Mm. I, I kind of think it's Vlavic or or Aubameyang. That's kind of how I see it. Um, I think they get Vlavic or they got to mend some bridges. Yeah, we had a question from the chief at Macho underscore Grande one. So everyone is dead. Is it time to bring back Aubameyang, which is, you know, the first part of that uh, is, is slightly dark, but I think I know what he means. That, like, if the Vlavic thing doesn't go through, if one of the other targets that we have who might be available in the summer isn't available in January, how important does it become then to reintegrate Aubameyang? And 
is that even possible based on what's happened? Or is there a need for everyone to sort of sit down and say, look, in the interest of expediency and and the team and the club and what we're trying to achieve, let's find some kind of accord between now and the end of the season, and then we do what seems to be inevitable and go our separate ways. I, 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 that's kind of easier said than done, I know. Yeah, it is. It's, it's easier said. It's easy to say, look, let's just put that behind us because we are where we are with this situation for you know, reasons perhaps that we don't know and don't understand or whatever's gone on. And you can say, well, look, for everybody's sake, we should just, you know, forget about it. But there comes, you know, it's not quite as simple as that, that, you know, things have happened um, that can't unhappen just because, you know, you feel like they should. There are, I, I th- yeah, yeah, I agree. There's a lot of pride on both sides. And someone said to me yesterday, they were like, I, I sort of voiced that possibility and and they said well you know I don't know if Arteta can row back on this you know he's taken such a strong stance and I think he can definitely afford to I think that he's already won do you know what I mean like he's made his point and he has done that very successfully Mm. I think he can afford to be pragmatic about this and I'm not saying we're bringing Aubameyang back as captain I'm not even saying we're bringing him back necessarily as a starter I'm saying that if there's 20 minutes to go in a game and we need a goal and it's Eddie Nketiah or Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, I know who I'm choosing. I Yes, I agree with you. The issue then is whether that's a role that Aubameyang is willing to fulfill. And look, I'm not mm-hmm. casting any aspersions on him or, or anything like that, but it is it is well below you know where he was... Yeah, three three months ago, you know, when he started the season pretty well and was scoring some goals, you know, to be then, for whatever reason, a bit part player, a super sub, a guy who's just coming on. I mean, do you get what you need from a player in those circumstances? Even if you are willing to be expedient and pragmatic, you know, is the motivation of the player, which is, you know, a key consideration, is that sufficient for him to perform at the level you want him to perform at, you know? Mm, yeah. Like players can be, like they can go out and they can try, but if they're not, you know, if there's something going on, you don't get the best out of them. So, I, I guess that will inform Arsenal's thinking, what they think is possible there. Um, I mean, Aubameyang, if, I think Gabon play Ghana today. If Gabon get a result, it sends Ghana home. We could have mm. Thomas Partey back next week. So we're all rooting for Aubameyang uh, today, who I think is now back from COVID. Um, yeah, basically, I'm not sure you can, you know, if they don't get Vlavic, who is the one this January, I'm not sure that you could get someone better than Aubameyang. And so if you can repair that, yeah, that is the expedient, smart thing to do. Um, yeah. I hope it's possible. There's not a lot out there in the market, you know, when it comes to short-term striker solutions, you know, which is why I guess we're... really hard, yeah. Yeah, why we're pushing for Vlavic. Um, Yeah, let's see what kind of powers of persuasion Mikel Arteta and Edu have if they can get this done, so... 
Um, Sammy, who's at AFC Sammy, says, Good morning, chaps. How annoyed and confused do you think Nuno was last night when after being subbed off during the first <laughs> half versus Forest, he got stripped twice during this game only to be told to go back to the bench again? I think that's just, you know, part and parcel of football. It happens. You're ready to come on and a player like Saka was, looked to me like he was going to come off and then decided to He nearly to, came to on in the first half, didn't he? He was stripped off when Chambers came on. That's was right. Chambers? Yeah. They were going to make no, a double No, when Shaka got sent off. Yeah. When Holding came on, that was it. I'm yeah. curious to know what they were going to do there. Like, who was he coming on for? Who was he going to come on for there? If we were going to make a double change with Holding and Tavares, yeah. who was going to come off? I think it could only have been... Tierney, so I, I was told in the build-up to the game that Tierney was injured. He didn't train some days this week. Mm. So I thought maybe Tierney. Um, and, or alternatively, one of Martinelli and Saka, and he was going to be asked to just sort of, you know, uh, go up and down the line in, in the way that they did. But yeah, I, I don't think it was personal at all. And actually, I was quite encouraged by... I mean, we've only heard Arteta's side of it, but I was quite encouraged by what he said about the Nuno situation and, the, crucially, the players' response to it. Yeah, exactly. He was he was pretty positive about the whole thing, and I, I think we can read into the fact that Nuno was on the bench and yeah. played and came on last night as evidence that there isn't a, a big issue because, you know, he's not now somewhere in Siberia, um, you know, exiled like like some other players have been so he's involved and I think that particular issue at Nottingham Forest um, you know wasn't great for anyone but that's it they've drawn a line under it and they go again so yeah uh, here's a question from the discord we had one on Twitter as well if I can find it here uh, yeah on the discord John Parkin says hi chaps injuries and suspensions notwithstanding is Leno going to play again this season do you think where does that leave his Arsenal career and Rian Vacha on Twitter at Rian Vacha says with Ramsdale now essentially also the Carabao keeper and us already out of the FA Cup do you think there's a chance we let Leno leave in January it's a World Cup year and I see no more minutes for him this season I don't think you'll be allowed to leave uh, yeah, I um, uh, that's what I was told before Christmas that Arsenal were very clear they want two good goalkeepers and they expect him to stay until the summer um, did you think it was harsh to take him out no cup no. semi-final I, you know, I think I said it to Lewis on the preview podcast that I wouldn't have been surprised if if Ramsdale started. Like I, I was saying, if we got to the final, who would you start? Ramsdale. He's the number one goalkeeper. You're, you're in a cup final. Semi final is slightly less important, but you know, it's a bit harsh. But it is what it is, and I think, um, yeah, I think, I think it's you know it's done for Leno here but not until the summer. I can't see anything happening before the summer. I mean, Ramsdale could get an injury, could get a suspension, and we need a, another goalkeeper. We need a good goalkeeper. We don't have, you know, it's not like we have an Emi Martinez as the no. third-choice goalkeeper right now. You know, we don't have that um, that little bit of a security blanket where we could let the number two uh, guy go. We, we, we can't do it. So were you surprised that Ramsdale started? Um, not entirely because um, I thought it was a possibility before the first leg that got postponed. I think it was mm. under discussion at that stage. I think um, 
I think it's easier to make the change at the semi-final than the final, actually, and it makes it feel like less of a thing. Yeah. I think I think it's a better time to do it, actually. Um, and I think that although Ramsdale had some whiffy moments, there's particularly that one where he came out to the near post and, uh, and Liverpool had that great chance to score. Uh, I think he is part of the defensive unit and there is something to be gained from keeping those guys together. Um, they ba- they tend to bail each other out um, as they did last night. Yeah. So I think I, I think it was the right call. And I think if Leno was a guy who was I don't know part of the long term future, maybe you'd be more concerned about making him feel part of things or giving him assurances. But I think everybody's aware he's going to go in the summer, and I think he goes with his head pretty high like a lot of players who when they're dropped there have been a lot of players who've left Arsenal under clouds recently in terms of you know speaking out in the media or falling out with the manager mm. Leno really hasn't done anything like that there was one interview where he said oh Arteta was a bit vague with me about why I was dropped back in August but since then he's knuckled down when he's been asked to play he's played well I still think He's a good goalkeeper and I hope we get some money for him because he's an international player. And I wish him all the best, to be honest, because I think think, think for the most part for Arsenal, he performed really well. And there were times when we were dire and Mm. he was our saviour many times. No, I agree. And I, I don't think Leno was necessarily dropped per se. You know, it wasn't that he right, was performing yeah. really badly and we absolutely had to make a change in that position because everybody was fairly surprised when Ramsdale came in that quickly. But I I think it was more about adding what Ramsdale brings to the team than Leno's poor performances, you know? Mm. so mm. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, have you got any more? I don't have any more. I'm I don't done. think I do either. I think, right. um, we'll leave I think it we're kind of there. It's interesting, as we're talking, there's sort of more whispers and rumours and noises going around about oh, yeah. this uh, postponement issue. Um, I think Tottenham have the feeling that it could go, that Arsenal might request a postponement, but nothing... We're talking at half past 11 uh, on a Friday. Yeah. Nothing formally has gone in from Arsenal. Um, so who knows? Who knows if we'll have a game Sunday or not? Very difficult to say right now. I think it's genuinely in the balance right okay well look we'll wait and see it'll all play out whatever happens though we'll do an Arscast extra for you on monday uh, because that's what we do um in the meantime as ever thank you for being here uh, and thank you for listening and for all for all your comments and subscriptions and everything else we really do appreciate it uh fingers crossed we can play on sunday because I, I i'm looking forward to the um the martinelli hat trick at, at white Hart lane <laughs> so we'll see what happens uh, either way though we'll be here on monday with an arse cast extra until then take it easy bye bye